once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. And she followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days and finally Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them over and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and his entire household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his entire household. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Oh God, as always, we pray for insight and understanding into your word. And as we consider this narrative today, we ask for understanding into the kind of relationship that you're calling us into with you, with each other, and with ourselves. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. It's great to see everybody again today. Alex did a great job welcoming you, but I just wanted to remind you what a great week it's been. For those of you who were here last week and celebrated the ascension and installation of Michelle, we're still, we're still a high. I'm calling, yeah, that's right, that's right. We're still celebrating. Zoomers, we're, th we're thankful for your support as well. Great to see everybody on, on Zoom. And Michelle, how was the week? Did you, you know, you felt energized this week? With a lot of love, okay, that's what we want. That's what we want, that's great. All right, well, you know if you've been around that we are still in the midst of our series where we're reflecting on the implications of the resurrection, right? So a few weeks ago, we were in Central Park for Easter Sunday, we had Resurrection Sabbath, and we've still been re reflecting on the implications of the resurrection. And so we're better to do that than in the book of Acts, 
which tells the story of the newborn baby church that came to be after the resurrection. And so they too were dealing with the implications of the re- resurrection. And so well, today we're looking at a story in the book of Acts, and uh, we're told from firsthand experience. This doesn't always happen, certainly in the New Testament, that we get a firsthand account. But here we have a, the narrator of, this, of the book of Acts telling us that he was, he was with the apostles. He was with uh, Paul, and he's, he was with Silas. And so he said that they, uh, they were going out to the place of prayer. We're looking at Acts chapter 16 and verse 16. Now, if you read back earlier in the story, you find out that uh, Paul and Silas had been traveling all around, uh, they, and they had recently reached Macedonia, and now they were in the city of Philippi, and we're told that on the Sabbath day, they were looking for a place to pray, and so they went out of the city of Philippi, they found a nice, you can imagine, a nice spot by the river, and uh, they would go there to pray. And so Acts 6, uh, 16, 16 picks up with that narrative that they were again uh, going, they, but by the way, every time it seems like they go out to pray, they meet up with somebody. So Acts 16 follows this narrative. They go out and they're going to, to pray. We don't know if this was a Sabbath day or not, but they are, uh, they meet up with a woman uh, who is a slave. Slavery was real at this time. And so this woman was a slave, but she also had what the Bible was calling a spirit. And so they met, met this woman, this, this woman who has a spirit starts to follow them and starts to, 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 to shout out about them, about what they're doing. And so this continues on and on, the narrative says, for a number of days, all right? So they're there, and the, this woman is saying, hey, these are servants of the Most High God. They're not saying something controversial. They're the servants of the Most High God, and they're coming to tell you how to be saved, right? But this continues on and on. I don't know if you've ever had someone following you around uh, I don't know, I hope you've never had somebody following you around yelling about you at wherever you go, but this is the implication here, that uh, this woman is following them around and yelling at them. And in one of my favorite uh, insights about the Apostle Paul here, we're told that uh, Paul got annoyed. You know, sometimes we think of our uh, Bible characters as these, you know, uh, uh, they have no emotion, nothing. Paul got annoyed. Understandable. This person is following them around yelling things about them to everyone, creating havoc. And so he got annoyed, he turned around, and he called on the name of Jesus for the spirit to come out of the woman. And sure enough, the spirit (laughs) left. The woman who had been, uh, we would imagine, suffering. I mean, we don't exactly know how this works, but the idea is that a, a spirit who is not of God had taken over and taken control, at least in certain parts of her experience and that she was doing something that she didn't want to do against her will, right? So Paul, Paul calls out, the spirit leaves, and now she is whole again. She's not controlled by the spirit. She's still controlled as a slave, unfortunately, but she is not controlled by the spirit. The problem is that her owners were counting on the income that came from her ability, all right? So she's like a carnival sideshow, apparently. We were told specifically that the owners made money on her ability to tell fortunes. So people would come to her, they would pay the owners money, and they would have their futures predicted, all right? And so owners are suddenly out of luck, right? they, They had obtained this woman, they owned her, they controlled her, and she was doing their service for them. She, people would come, pay money, 
boom, and she would predict their future. That is now uh, in an instant gone. So they're upset. So what is the first thing that they do? They take Paul and Silas to the marketplace. Why the marketplace? Well, that's where other sellers are. So they want to get together with their, 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 their friends who are also selling, and they're going to raise havoc about what Paul and Silas are doing because they can see that very quickly, this, this is, by the way, the first instance of the gospel versus capitalism that we see in the story of Acts. All right? Uh, their, their livelihood is taken away, so let's take them to the marketplace and get all the other uh, sellers inspired to be against Paul and Silas, right? And sure enough, that's exactly what happens, and everybody is upset because they're imagining, wow, if they keep teaching, what is it going to do to my income? And so they take them into the magistrates, and the magistrates, not knowing, by the way, we don't, the text we uh, read today doesn't give this insight, but if you continue on, they didn't know that, that Paul was a Roman citizen. And if you're a Roman citizen, you, you couldn't just be uh, thrown in jail without a trial. That's another story for another day, but the magistrate didn't know this, so they threw Paul and the, the apostles into uh, prison. And so then we get to the second half of the story, the second main character of the story. We just read it. They're singing. They're praying together. They, you know, they're, maybe they're sharing some Bible texts. It's midnight, and uh, an angel of the Lord comes and creates an earthquake. Not the first, or not the only time that this happens in the Bible narrative, but uh, the angel comes and all the prisoners are in the prison are released. Now, we don't know the full story of the jailer, but he's sleeping there on the premises. His family is apparently nearby. We don't know. Maybe this is how it worked. Like he, he gets his pay by overseeing the jail and his family lives nearby with him. We would imagine that a little, little uh, private jail situation where he's making money and he's tasked with taking care of the prisoners. And these prisoners were such a disturbance that we're told he put them in the center cell, wants to make sure that they are secure. And then it also goes to say, maybe he doesn't do this for everybody, but he's very concerned about them staying where they're supposed to be, that he, they, they tie their, their hands or they chain their hands and their feet. So put them in the center cells, chain the hands and feet. We've got to make sure we take care of these troublemakers. But at midnight, the earthquake comes and the doors fly open, and he is, jumps up imagining that everybody has escaped, as you would think, uh, runs in, uh, sees that the doors are open, and decides his livelihood is over, and in fact, he's probably going to lose his life, so why not just take it himself, all right? But thank God, Paul is there to call out. Apparently, he can see what's going on and calls out, we're all here. We're all here. Nobody left. We're all here. And so you have this moment where the jailer has this, you know, we can imagine the, the re relief from going to feeling like not only was your livelihood over, but your life was probably over, to there, everything is okay and you're going to be okay, and, uh, and, and things proceed from there. So we have these, these two narratives, and this is really our focus for today. You have first this group of owners of the slave woman, right? And their lives are disturbed. And, uh, and they make a decision. And then you have uh, the second group, this jailer and his family, their lives are disturbed. There's an economic impact about what's going to happen. In fact, there, there, there's an, uh, an emotional impact. Again, he's so concerned that he's going he's to kill himself about what's going to happen. So they both faced a, a tumultuous situation because of the gospel, 
because Paul and the other apostles are out preaching this good news about Jesus, right? It, it changes their life uh, very quickly, and both of them interpret that change as being a negative, okay? But then they make two uh, very different decisions. So the, 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 the owners, it's interesting, I think, to note that uh, the Bible specifically says that this woman was following them around for many days, all right? So we can imagine uh, Paul and the other apostles, and they're out preaching in this community, and everyone has a chance to hear them, including the owners of the, the slave woman, okay, and the slave woman them, themselves. So they hear the, the gospel story, all right? The, the jailer, on the other hand, in an, he hears the singing and the praying. We don't know what he took in, but he doesn't have as much time. But the, 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 the slave owners, they make a decision that this disturbance that has happened, their livelihood is taken away, uh, is of greater import than what has actually happened to the woman. Now, I, don't, I would like to think that if I knew that there was someone who had a an ungodly spirit that would take control over their body and then another person came and was able to, to heal or fix that woman, that I would want to investigate that a little bit more because maybe, maybe, if they're able to do something like that, they can do more things that would be beneficial to the community or to other people, all right? I mean, this woman has had this, this spirit for some time and now she is uh, fixed of the, of the problem. She's healed. Let, why not investigate this? If they have this power, maybe they have other power, but that's not what happens because the, the, the bank account has suddenly, they, they see, it doesn't even happen yet, but they're imagining the bank account just in, in, instantaneously uh, decreasing. Maybe they had a mortgage, you know, you gotta pay for the boat, for the river, you gotta pay, you know, you gotta pay for the house, you gotta pay for all the things, and suddenly the income is gone, and so that, inhibits their ability to follow up on the power that was behind these men and their ability to cast out a demon. Okay, so you got this one group. And then the jailer. <laughs> the jailer also, there are implications. So much so he realizes instantaneously implication that he's gonna kill himself, okay? But Paul and Silas are there to, 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 to calm him down and explain what, what happens. And he makes the decision to, to, to not lock them up again, but that he is gonna believe in this good news. Now, um, if you're, you know, if you're here today, or you you're on Zoom, and if you've expressed, you know, you, that you are a follower of Jesus, you probably uh, want to imagine yourself being like the the jailer, right? That we hear and we believe and we put our trust in and we move forward. But I would imagine that, and I'll just confess for my, my, myself, there are times, sometimes, maybe too many times, when I, in this story, would have to, to affiliate, not with the jailer, but uh, with the men who lost their income because of the woman who's lost their position. Something happens, God intervenes, but <laughs> it affects my situation here and now. And that can be, I mean, you talk about the bank account. For those of us here in New York, it's hard living, right? I mean, it's, 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 it, you've got to pay for the apartment. You can't go a couple months and be like, I'm sorry, I'm not paying rent. Uh, you can. <laughs> you can do that. But that creates havoc 
right? So the idea of bank accounts suddenly being depleted is a little scary. And so while we'd like to think of ourselves as in the camp of the jailer, oftentimes we find ourselves having the same concerns that those slave owners had, uh, which leads to our question today. Why? Why is this the case? Why do we struggle to trust in the good news about Jesus? The slave owners, they had heard the good news. They didn't, they didn't trust in the good news, even though they saw a miraculous event. The jailer, he heard the good news and trusted. Why do we often find our t- ourselves struggling to trust in the good news of Jesus? First, I would say, you know, there are immediate benefits to the status quo, right? That's the reality. We're, we're here and now, and you know, maybe everything isn't figured out. Maybe we don't have life completely figured out, but we're making it. And so the idea of having a dramatic change because of the impact of this news about Jesus that you hear, that could be scary, right? Because what is going to happen? I mean, we all like to to stay slow and steady. I shouldn't say all of. Some of you are crazy and ready to move forward. But many of us, we've got our comfort zone, and there's the status quo. And to think that that's going to be changed can be very, very disconcerting. I mean, that's, again, what we would imagine these, these, uh, these slaveholders are thinking. Their income is now gone. What are they going to do? And so they don't like the idea of this dramatic change. And so we find ourselves in the same situation. It, it's, the status quo may not be great, but it's, we know it. We're comfortable with it. And so thinking about something dramatically changing the status quo can be incredibly challenging. Uh, secondly, you know, our imaginations are far, far too limited. Again, we see the way things are now, and it's hard to imagine what a, a, a new situation c- could be like. For those slavers, it's pro- hard to imagine what it would be like and what the implications are of someone who can cast out demons and in someone else's name, right? You'd think they would want to find out who is, who are you, and who is this name that you casted out in the, the demons of? But their imaginations are too limited. Our imaginations are too limited. We know what we know now, and it's hard to imagine a new kind of life with a new kind of situation in something that's a little bit mysterious. The name of Jesus, we never heard of this person. And we certainly never heard of you, Paul. And so we, we have a lack of um, imagination. It's hard for us to think beyond where we are now. And finally, you know, our current circumstances, it's very difficult to see beyond them. And you think, you know, some of us are dreamers, but many of us are living one day at a time, and, you know, we just next day, what are you doing tomorrow? You know, I'm doing this tomorrow, and then I'm going to work on, on Tuesday, and then I'm going to work again on Thursday, and on Friday I'm going to work, and, you know, maybe, maybe there's more work in the future, but to, to think about, like, what life would be like if the good news of the gospel were real for us, that can, be, that can be challenging. And so we're limited by all of these things, lack of imagination, the status quo, or inability to see the future. It's really interesting. There is irony in this story, right? Um, I mean, what, as mentioned, what the woman was saying, the woman who was, had a spirit, what she was saying was absolutely 100% true, right? 
the message that she was saying, calling out to them was, these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. So there's irony that the woman who is possessed by a spirit is actually telling the truth. Sometimes you can tell the truth and be annoying. You know what I'm talking about? I know if you're Adventist, you know what I'm talking about. You can tell the truth. You guys got that? That somebody, Adventist, tell the truth, still be annoying? Anyway, okay. Um, sometimes you can tell the truth and be annoying. This woman is telling the truth. It may be from the wrong spirit, but she's telling the truth. She's saying exactly the, the truth. She's predicting the future. <laughs> you can be saved because of what these people are saying. We have a hard time reconciling uh, our present with the intended future. Uh, it makes me think about uh, the, the great King Solomon who wrote uh, the book of Proverbs. He says this in Proverbs 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him and he will make your paths straight. Solomon was saying, predicting the future. When you put your trust in the Lord, who we now know as the Lord Jesus. When you put your trust in him, he will take care of you. He will guide your understanding. Trust in all your heart and he will guide your understanding. This is basically the message and the invitation of the Apostle Paul. The challenge for us is, this is difficult. Putting trust in something that we can't see. Putting trust in something that is not our, 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 our bank account. Putting our trust in something that is, 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 is sometimes as intangible as the name of the Lord Jesus can be incredibly, incredibly challenging. And so, how do we move forward? How do we gain trust so that we, we can be in line with the jailer and not the slaveholder? Well, as always, it comes back to Jesus himself. Not just Jesus as an idea, but Jesus as the one who himself acted. We're told in Philippians chapter 2 that Jesus trusted Jesus, who being in very nature God, didn't consider equality with God something that he had to hold on to. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. The whole story about Jesus is that Jesus put himself out there. He trusted in the Father, made himself nothing. And because Jesus trusted, this is the great truth of the gospel, because Jesus trusted, we have the opportunity to trust you. Because Jesus trusted, even in the face of crucifixion and his own murder, he was murdered on a cross, because he did that, we have the opportunity to gain the power of Jesus' trust as well. We're not on our own. If you're here today and you're like, I, 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 I don't have this trust. I'm stuck. My imagination is too small. It's hard to see beyond where I am, am today. There's good news. Jesus has trusted. And because he's trusted, we can trust too. We're told that the jailer awoke up. We just read this. Jailer woke up, he saw the prison doors open, decided he's got to kill himself because it's over. The Roman authorities are going to come. They've hired him to be the jailer. He has not done his job. Life is over. But Paul shouted out, don't harm yourself. We're all here. So the jailer called for the lights and he rushed in and he fell trembling before Paul and Silas. 
And then he said, what must I do to be saved? Greatest question you're ever going to ask. What must I do to be saved? And Paul didn't respond with a giant list of ethical things. You've got to get your life in order. You've got to figure this out. You've got to make sure you start worshiping every Saturday morning. You've got to show up for Bible study. You've got to do... He didn't give a list. You know what he said? Believe in the Lord Jesus and you and your entire household will be saved. Believe. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. And then he spoke a word from the Lord to them and we're told that the, 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 the jailer, he, he fixed up their wounds, and then they, now we're, I don't know, one, two, three in the morning? Now what time is it? It was midnight when the earthquake took place. Early in the morning, they went out right there, and they were baptized. The, the jailer had a decision to make. And he made the decision to investigate and go further and to run in and not to kill himself. And his life was transformed and changed. And the simple response was believe. If you believe, if you were told in other places, confess with your mouth and believe with your heart. And if you confess with your mouth and believe with your heart, you are saved. You are saved, which means God starts doing his saving work in you at that moment. There's a, a long-term salvation at the return of the Lord Jesus, but there is a saving that happens when we confess and we believe now. And so some of us here are struggling with belief a little bit. You know, maybe we've confessed to Jesus, maybe we've been baptized, but you know, on a day-to-day -day basis, that can be up and down. Sometimes you're feeling a little stronger in your trust than other days. And so the call is to continue to confess faith to believe, and God will empower us with the trust that we do not innately have. Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your entire household. I'm reminded of the words of the Apostle Paul in his book to the Romans. This is Romans chapter 10, verse 17. Faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. So if you're asking yourself, like, what can I do? How can I, you know, what, what, is there a role for me to play in this? Or I just believe, hey, belief and, and trust starts with hearing. You know, and for some of us, I think we're not hearing this good news enough. Right? Maybe we come once a week or once a month and we hear some good news and we sing some songs together. But Paul says, hearing is what build, builds faith. When you hear about the work of Jesus, that builds faith and trust. When you hear what God has done, and so when your trust is low, that's the time to hear the message again. That's the time to go back and, and, and reflect on the Bible story of the work of the Lord Jesus on your behalf. And as you hear that, something happens that stirs the trust and the faith because God is in, empowered to give you trust and faith that you do not inherently have. Faith comes from hearing. Believe in the word. It sounds too easy. It sounds so easy that we always, we want to add, yeah, yeah, but belief means this, belief. Believe. Confess with your mouth. Believe with your heart. 
and God will start working transformation and change and fill you with everything else you need so that you can, you can live joyously even when times are sad. You know, times are sad right now. It's a, it's a world is a broken place. But we can live with an internal joy that doesn't, doesn't, doesn't mask the sadness of the broken world. Times are difficult, but God is able for us to, to transcend the emotions that we would naturally have by giving us peace amidst turmoil, joy even during times of sadness. This is the promise of the gospel. This is the promise of what happens when we express faith. Yes, the bank account gets challenged, and we might not be able to see exactly what's going to happen in the future, but God gives you peace. Despite what's going on around, this is the promise of the gospel with the hope that one day, one day, all things will be made new. And so, again, if you're struggling with your trust or you're struggling with your faith today and you're like, what, what, all, what, what things do I have to do to get my life together to get in the place where I need to be? The good news is God isn't asking for that. He's asking for you to believe. To believe. And so... May God give you faith and trust today as you believe in the work of the Lord Jesus. Amen.